This is Michael Blackstone with Lee Talk Radio, and today we are privileged to have Congressman Morgan Griffith with us. And uh, welcome to our show, Congressman. And would you pre be preferred to call Congressman Morgan Morgan Griffith? What do you choose? Morgan works fine. All right, Morgan. Um, so let's get uh, for for those that are in our listeners that may not have the privilege. You know, we, we know who we elect in and who's representing us, uh, but a lot of times they don't have the, the opportunity necessarily to get up close and personal um, with our elected officials. So tell us a little about um, Morgan Griffith. How'd you get well, into politics? How long you've been in? Uh, basically, what are you doing? Um, and so we get to know who we're talking sure. to and, and so on. Sure. I... Uh... I started being interested in politics as a kid, and then uh, when I got myself trained, I, I'm a big believer that uh, God gives everybody talents and skills, but but you need to enhance those. And for whatever reason, God gave me the ability to talk, and uh, I just love law and politics. So I went off to be trained, uh, starting at Emory and Henry College, where I did uh, four years, and then uh, Washington and Lee University School of Law. Appalachian School wasn't open yet. So the one that was closest to where I lived, and I grew up in Salem, lived, have lived my most of my life there. I, I've had a, a zero to one. Uh, I was elsewhere, but from one one year on, I've been in Salem and uh, came back home to Salem and practiced law, and then got into the House of Delegates, and then in 2010 was elected to represent the Ninth Congressional District in Congress. Uh, I have uh, I'm married, and I have uh, three children. And uh, they're all doing well. I started late, so I have a stepdaughter who is almost 22. She'll she'll be turning 22 here in another month, and she is uh, currently uh, attending a chiropractic uh, school in upstate New York. She went to Virginia Tech undergrad. My boys are 16 and 14, and both of them are in school at Salem. Awesome. So you've got you you not only are you uh, a representative in Congress, but you're also um, you've got a family, uh, a growing family, so you're right in the thick of all of the stuff that every normal parent out there uh, has to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, which is uh, which is very refreshing to know because then that gives you, you know, a lot of times, uh, uh, what is that? You take take advice from people who or, or or get information from people who have never done what they're what they're they're uh, talking about. So this is this is nice to know. Um, the uh, you know Lee Talk Radio is for Lee County, Virginia, uh, primarily. It's a it's the voice of the people, and uh, you know we get out information and stuff to uh, to the folks here in Lee County. Um, even though it is primarily for Lee County, we cover Southwest Virginia and, and uh, uh, things because we're intertwined in a lot of different um, things, government wise, uh, economically, and so on throughout this whole area. So. In the in the subject of Lee County economic development, tell me about what is going on or what you've had to do with abandoned mine, uh, the land economic revitalization programs, and how how is that specifically helping our people in um, in Virginia? Yeah. Lee so County. what we do what we what happened was they created this program. Uh, for the abandoned mine 
Land uh, Economic Revitalization Program, they call it now, it used to be called the uh, Abandoned Mine Land Pilot Project. Uh, to his credit, uh, Hal Rogers, just over the line in Kentucky, created this program, but he created it only for Kentucky, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania, the three states with the most abandoned land, most abandoned mine land. And when I saw that, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. While Virginia may not have as much, our section of Virginia, down in the old coal mining areas and the ones that are still active, but, but particularly the ones they mined in the early part of the 20th century and the late uh, 19th century, said, we've got probably just as much per square mile as they have. We just don't have as many miles of it because the rest of Virginia didn't do mining. And so right. I put in for uh, $10 million a year. I had to fight for that. And because we couldn't do specific projects for your district at that time, I had to create uh, this anomaly where I had to, I said it's the second tranche. And so I actually got money for Alabama and Ohio as well. And in fact, a couple of years after the program started, I, I needed some assistance uh, making sure we could keep it going. It was, it was, again, I needed to do another amendment on the floor. And so I got my colleague from Ohio to help me out. And he says, well, we're getting $10 million a year? I said, yeah. Uh, I said, I got that for you. He said, well, thanks. I'll come help you fight for it. So we've been able to keep it in there, and it's, it's going into its fifth year. And uh, it brings in you know, a fair amount of money. And what we do is, is that uh, local governments or others can propose projects. It goes through what used to be DMME, and I forget what their new name is. They, they changed the name. What's it called? Virginia Energy. But uh, it goes through them, and there's a committee that has Southwest Virginia people on it and a representative from my office and, and then people from the state. And they go through the various projects and, and decide, you know, where we should spend the money each year. But uh, we've, we've done all kinds of things. Uh, and in Lee County, that includes uh, Project Thoroughbred, which uses grain from Lee County farmers and others for brewing and distilling. Uh, they're putting a terminal in in Norton, which is also part of that. Uh, then 500000 for the Lee County Indoor Farm Greenhouse Project and $1.5 million for Lee and Buchanan County's growing hemp commercially while improving environmental effects of acid rain drainage. But it, it also does things like closes off mine portals. And In Norton, we took down the high wall so they can put in an industrial development park and hopefully bring in some jobs. And they've already got one employer who's locating there. And then some of it is uh, tourism. While not in Lee County itself, the Devil's Bathtub is something that a lot of folks uh, go to. And a lot of folks from Lee County go to that, as you know. And uh, so we, we're working on a project there as well, closing off the mine portals. I call them entrances, but for the, the official parlay uh, or parlance is to call them mine portals. Uh, but it closes off old mine entrances, and then at Devil's Bathtub we're creating a parking lot. Not a big deal, except that they weren't going to be able to do it without some money from this program. So we're trying to spread that $10 million around in the areas that used to mine in Virginia, in southwest Virginia. And um, I'm, I've been really proud of that program from an economic development standpoint because it'll take a while to bear fruit. We've got one over in Russell County that's going to end up uh, being two different industrial parks side by side, over 200 acres. Uh, and while, again, that's not directly Lee County, you and I both know a lot of people will, uh, when they start creating those jobs there, and, and I'm told there's a prospect at one of those uh, parks in Lee County, one of those industrial parks at Lee County, They've got a real hot prospect, nothing official yet, but every time we bring in more jobs into the region, 
there will be some people from Lee County who will be willing to drive over there when the wages are good. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a question. And this, is, this, this may not even be something directed to you, but in, in the county here, um, and they've got, uh, they've got development underway, our lower end, we call it the, the lower end or the west end of the county. This is the farthest uh, end of the county that borders uh, uh, Tennessee, which you're going to go into right. Harrogate there, Harrogate, LMU, right. and, and then Middlesbrough. So that end of the county. That is, uh, we have infrastructure issue there where sewer water is needing yep. to get out there. It's our most well, logical growth direction for the county. It is. So, I will tell you that we worked with the Army Corps to get a sewer project. I, I worked behind the scenes really hard with the Army Corps to get that sewer project they put in uh, from Harrogate up to uh, uh, the veterinary school area there in Ewing. And uh, we're, we're trying to figure out, we're doing some behind the scenes finagling right now to see if we can't get that extended uh, even further. But you're absolutely right. That there's some beautiful land out there, but it's also an area where you can see some real potential for growth. Uh, and I think Lee County, that's a real asset for Lee County, and I think it's an area where we can have growth. And anything I can do to help move things along there, I will. As far as the AML money is concerned, and this is the pilot project money, not the traditional money that was that was out there, but um, if somebody has a proposal and there's an, a, some abandoned mine land that we can improve, uh, I would say get it with the county folks, talk to my office, and and see if we can't put that on the list of things that will be considered in the next uh, amount of money that comes through. So let me ask you, let me ask you this question because yeah. you, you answered exactly where I was going with this. I recently did an interview with Richard Johnson, who is the director at the EDA here in, in Lee mm -hmm. County. And, you know, one of the things we talked about was this specific subject. And, you know, he said the uh, Army Corps of Engineers has their own timeline. They are not one to be push, rush, this, that, and the other thing. However, this, this project and this kind of stuff has been going on for a considerable amount of time. So my question to you would be, um, what can you do to help accelerate that? I mean, does, is it going to take the next five years or the rest of our natural lives to get this done? Or is something that you can do in your position, push these guys a little bit faster, a little bit harder than maybe our local uh, county government is, is able got, to do. If they've got something specific, I meet with the Army Corps every year uh, to talk about projects. If they've got something specific, specific, we can work on that. And, and I know that my team has in the past. And, and part of what we're working on right now is apparently the money for all that has not been uh, reauthorized since 2007, so we're working on a reauthorization, uh, and we think we can figure out some language that will allow us to expand that. But if if any ideas that individuals or the county government has, or the EDA, uh, you know, bring it to us. And what we did on this Harrogate project is we, the Harrogate to Ewing, we worked behind the scenes to tell, to make sure they knew that was a top priority for us, and it, and it got done. Uh, now, five years is probably realistic, uh, so I don't want to mislead anybody who might be listening. That being said, I hope to live a lot longer than five years, so I don't think it will take our natural <laughs> lifetimes. <laughs> exactly. So it, at, the, at the county level, are, there, are you saying that there is, uh, there is financial um, things that need to be done to 
uh, what uh, did you say? They just, need to bring it, uh, they just need to bring it to our attention and let us know uh, what they're looking at and what they consider their priority. And they gotcha. and they may have told my team that because my team has been coming to me with ideas over the last, having nothing to do with this interview over the last couple of weeks. It's because there are new bills coming up. Mm-hmm. And we have a new word of bill, which may or may not help us. Then we have a new, we're expecting in the next, you know, either this next year or the year after that, a new, uh, what we call T&I, Transportation and Infrastructure Bill. And there's some places in there we can tweak some language and try to help uh, communities in southwest Virginia, even if it's just tweaking it to say, you know, they can continue working on, and then we have to fill in the project number or something like that. That kind of stuff then helps the Army Corps because they then have authorization. Sometimes they feel they don't have the authorization to do as much as they would like to do. I mean, I have found them to be, they do work on their own timeline, but I have found the Army Corps that works on these issues in, in our area to be helpful. Um, doesn't mean I always agree with them, but, but they really are trying, I think, to help the area. They just have a different timeline than you and I might like. Right. I understand. And, and, the, and the average person, you know, in the general public, you know, has no experience in dealing with these kind of matters. So they, you know, when we when we think of something, we're we're thinking of, uh, you know, all right, let's get out, and dig a ditch, and put in a, a pipe. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's that's the level of of uh, that's that's just the the way that most people look at it in the general public is is why can't it why can't it be done? Why is it taking longer? Um, you know, there's there's lots of moving parts in all this. I I understand. You know, we want to make sure that everybody across the state um, understands that Lee County is where Virginia begins. It's not where it ends. It's where it begins. And uh, we want that infrastructure here so that when you step foot uh, one toenail into Virginia, you're coming into Lee County, and we want the infrastructure, we want that growth, and we want to be able to push across this region. And I'm sure that's, you know, a lot of you guys is um, – you know, way, way you're going at opportunity as well. Let's switch subjects and talk about our hospital. Yep. The reopening of our our hospital. Um, you know, what did you what did your office have uh, uh, in, in involved in that? And um, just give me your kind of your thoughts on yeah, that whole program. From day one, uh, you know, folks in Lee County and Terry Kilgore, uh, all of all of those folks were keeping me advised. Uh, in, in fairness, I was a little shocked when it shut down because we had a meeting in August. Uh, and, and let me say that the two senators, even though we're in different parties, the two senators and myself have worked on this from, from the get-go on the federal side. But uh, the, the local government, the hospital uh, board, and I forget the official name of it, but the one that, that took over when the hospital closed, uh, the state legislators, we all worked on it together. And local government and state government did more. I don't want to take anything away from them. I've always been very strict in my office. We don't take credit for things we didn't do. What we did do, though, is we kept the pressure on. And like I say, the two senators and I were working together on this. We kept the pressure on to get something done, to get it reopened. We had a couple of failed attempts, as you know. We had a company that came in and wasn't successful. But we kept pushing, and we kept saying, when you need us to get you the licenses that are required in order to get Medicaid and Medicare reimbursement and the hospital designation, et cetera, we will be there to help, and that's what we did. We, we followed through all the way. 
which is why uh, you had uh, you know Mark Warner and myself both showed up for the opening because in D.C. we did not worry about party politics. The hospital was never a partisan issue. And what we did was we did everything we could do at the federal level. Now, that being said, I don't want to take anything away from the, the folks in Lee County and the state legislators who truly, Bill Carrico, uh, Pillion, uh, Kilgore, everybody worked their tails off to have that thing happen. And it would not have happened without us all agreeing that we were going to work together uh, side by side and each each team was going to do their, their share and what they could do, and we were all there from the beginning and all supported each other, and I think that was very helpful. I think it's done, it's done wonders for our, uh, our county, um, you know, and, and credit and acknowledgement to Ballot Health and their organization who have, um, you know, helped on, on that side of things, and, and then all the, the state folks, county folks that you've mentioned, um, you know, it was, there was several years we were all sitting on the edge of our seat waiting and um, it was uh, there was some challenges so I'm, I'm glad to hear that that you guys uh, especially from the federal level on down you know was was exacting the, the right kind of pressure and unity and getting, getting that going um, let's talk about a couple things you know you are on the uh, federal level so let's talk about some national uh, issues um, as Republican leader of the Oversight and Investigation Subcommittee of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, tell me what you're doing, what what that uh, committee does to um, the the elephant in the room, finding out the origins of COVID-19. What what are we really doing there? I know we see everything on on various levels of news medias, uh, national news media and stuff like that, but it's just, you know, one-liners, short stuff. Um, tell us what's the, what's the meat and potatoes behind this. Well, the meat and potatoes is we don't know for sure. Uh, I'm convinced it was a lab leak uh, at the Wuhan lab. I'm convinced that uh, the NIH uh, and Dr. Fauci's group, which is a sub-part of the NIH, which is uh, allergies and immunizations, um, I think they were a little bit negligent. And, of course, they've done a lot of other things. But just on the origins, they contributed. They didn't mean to. I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of doing anything intentionally. But they gave money to a group called EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth Alliance then did a subcontract with the Wuhan lab. Our representatives at, at the at the National Institute of Health knew or should have known that that lab was not rated as secure enough to handle a virus that could cause uh, death in humans. It just wasn't, it does not have the, the international standard. It did not meet that standard. Why we were giving them money is something that I want to investigate. And I want to bring in, when, and we don't have control right now, so I can't bring them in until I get the gavel, but I'm hoping I'll have the gavel this time next year. And I, uh, I will have to uh, bring in the appropriate people, including Dr. Fauci, and ask them under oath what in the heck were they thinking. I will well, also I, I, find out why, they, why Dr. Fauci in particular. This does not reflect on the NIH directly except that he is an employee of the NIH, why he got on a, a, in a conversation 
to try to mislead the American people because from the very beginning there were two theories, an animal or a lab leak. And they led everybody to animal, which was not unreasonable in February of 2020, but then they said everybody who thought it might be a lab leak, they were wrong and they weren't following the science. Well, the science has led us back to a lab leak. And the animal theory is highly unlikely, but Dr. Fauci was part of a conversation where they intentionally diverted people from looking at the Wuhan lab. And I want to know, was that because you knew that your agency negligently was allowing money to flow to that lab when they didn't have the proper security measures to protect an escape of a virus that could kill human beings? Let me ask you a I question. Um, yep. the, uh, there are actually two questions. And if you can, if you can confirm these, um, fine. If, and if this is something that you want to wait till after you get into some of these investigative hearings and, and stuff you're speaking of, then uh, that's, that's fine as well. Is the Wuhan laboratory's primary function to build weapons? No. It is okay. not. Now, is there a possibility but, that the Chinese Communist Party may be using some of their research uh, at another facility, uh, maybe even located within Wuhan. That's something we'll have to look at. But the, the lab where this research was being done was not one that was uh, looking specifically for weaponization. Second question, does George Soros own or have money involved in that lab? I do not know. We have not seen anything that would indicate that, but I will tell you that, that the uh, Biden administration is not cooperating with our minority investigation, and we don't have the power of subpoena yet. When we get control next year, assuming that we do, uh, we will subpoena this, these records, and if we have to, we'll go to court. I think the Biden administration has more information that they have not yet, that we have not yet discovered. We're getting little bits and pieces. I did think it was interesting the other day because uh, Jim Jordan, who's the ranking member on judiciary, was talking about stuff, and everybody acted like it was new, and my subcommittee's investigation had that stuff six months ago, but nobody pays attention when we do news releases because we don't have that name profile, which is understandable, but I thought, well, isn't that interesting? But uh, the business, you know, dealing with the Wuhan lab, we're right on top of it, and our, our investigative team in the committee is ready to go, and we're going to we're going to break some eggs, and we're going to knock down some doors to get the answers. The American people deserve the answers. Uh, I don't believe it was weaponized. I don't believe it was intentional, but it clearly was negligent, and we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. Amen to that. So, what's your what's your personal view on vaccines and masks and mandates? That's, those, those are loaded topics. <laughs> Let's start with mandates. I do not support mandates. Good. I think that's wrong. I think everybody has to make their own decision. Um, masks do not appear to be very effective. Um, some of the uh, N95 masks will pr help protect you a little bit, but really isn't going to do a whole lot to take the virus out of, out of, the, out of circulation in, in the general population. Uh, so I think we've probably overdone masks, particularly the cloth masks have basically no impact uh, based on the science we're seeing. Um, and in, as far as the vaccination itself goes, I think they're they're relatively safe. There's there's no hundred percent guarantee, uh, but but 
you know, unless you've got something else going on in your, your system. My son one time went into, when he was a little kid, went into anaphylactic shock from, uh, we don't know why, from, but it was right after he took a vaccination for uh, MMR, uh, the, the measles vaccine. And so for years, we had to do it very slowly and check everything out. So sometimes different people react differently. But uh, I've been studying M mRNA technology for years because uh, they were actually developing it for another coronavirus. That would be the flu. And it has great potential to make our flu vaccines much more effective because right now the flu vaccine is only about 15 to 40 percent effective, dependent, excuse me, depending on what year it is because we have to develop them so early because the process we're using now is very slow and it uses eggs. And um, both my son and I have, have had an egg allergy. I, I don't currently, but he has one, which means that I very rarely get the flu vaccine and he's never had it. Uh, that would be my older son. And so I've been studying this technology because it's a way to protect him in, as we go forward from necessarily having the flu. I think I've had it so many times I've built up immunity, particularly as a kid. But that being said, I studied it uh, at length, and I have always felt very safe with it, and so I made sure I got, when I got vaccinated, and I am vaccinated and boosted, I got one of the mRNA because I trust that technology. It doesn't last that long in the body. It's not going to cause any genetic uh, deformities. How much it helps? Well, that's questionable. But it does appear to at least reduce the uh, level of the symptoms. And uh, we've all known somebody who's, who's died uh, of COVID. I had a friend pass away uh, within the last week. And I want to make sure that at least the decision that I made, and I think it's a personal decision, was I want to make sure that I'm knocking those symptoms down as much as I can. That's, uh, that's awesome. I, I think that... Um I agree with you 100%. The the it should be a personal personal choice. It should be something that you you know talk to your medical doctor, get the best thing for you. The, those are the people on the ground that are most familiar with you as a person, as a as a, as a body, and uh, can medically help you in whatever is available. So uh, two two last things. I know we're we're getting uh, close on some time. Um, the something that affects and has affected. Um, and, and even been called the scourge of the Appalachians. Uh, our county has been affected, and many uh, across the, the country. But specifically here, tell us about the um, your bill to fight opioid, the, the opioid epidemic, and um, the Ensuring Compliance Against Drug Diversion Act of 2021. How it became, uh, I believe, it recently became law. Explain to explain in basic terms how does that affect people on the streets and what is uh, what is going to be accomplished there um, so that we can all have relief from this scourge as it's been nicknamed. Well, and it, and look, it was a good little bill and I liked it. I'm not going to tell you it's going to stop the scourge of opioid abuse. Uh, but what it did do was, was that we had a situation where if you were selling your pharmacy, you also sold your your DEA uh, license and your ability to handle uh, sometimes dangerous substances like opioids. And prior to my bill, if you sold it, there was no checking on the new person. So pharmacy, you know, number one, 
could sell their license to pharmacy number two, and nobody ever checked the principals out to make sure that they weren't uh, bad actors who had done something in the past. Never had any of those cases in, in our area, but it was just something that this was a, a back door that was left open, and we wanted to make sure we shut it. I do have a bill that's actually in part going to be up today and, and is in the hopper uh, that we're looking at. Uh, we're trying to force it on the floor today. We're probably going to lose it because it's a Republican bill. But this one would uh, allow uh, us to make all of the analogs permanently of, of analogs of, uh, of fentanyl. Uh, it would make them permanently a Schedule One unless we can later discover that there's a medical uh, use for that that's, that's legitimate. Uh, there are some 4,000 different possible analogs, and we've studied 30 of them in the United States. And what the Chinese and the, and the Mexican cartels are doing is they can change the analog just slightly, and then they can claim it wasn't one of the substances on the list. We have had a rolling, where we make them rolling Schedule One. In other words, every few months we vote to say, okay, we're going to do this again. And it, right now it ends in February, uh, February 18th. I think it ought to be permanent, and also a part of the bill says that for scientific research purposes, we're going to lower the barriers on doing research on Schedule One drugs so that our uh, institutions of higher learning that are doing this kind of stuff under protected uh, circumstances in the United States can do the research to see if there is something of medical value in one of the uh, analogs. And that's just changing the formula slightly. It's still fentanyl, but it's a different slightly different substance, uh, and we need to make sure that, that it's illegal until we prove that it's got some value to it, because otherwise the, the criminals will take advantage of it, and that is, it has become a huge problem nationally, because people are getting hooked on this stuff. Sometimes they lace it in marijuana cigars or cigarettes just so they can get you hooked. It's, it's nasty stuff, and um, yeah. I'm hoping absolutely, it's Absolutely well. devastating, for sure. Um, glad to hear that, that strides are being made forward, and I, I wish you success. I know that these, uh, um, whether they're Republican or, or Democrat, I mean, us, us people that are out here living, just like you and your family, um, you know, when, when <clears throat> the proverbial stuff is hitting the fan um, and we're having to deal with things in our day-to-day -day life, which we're not thinking Democrat, Republican, Independent, or, or the man on the moon, we're, we're thinking about uh, living in life, you know, so I Absolutely. appreciate knowing that. Last question I want to ask you, all over the country, cops are getting shot. People are getting killed. Uh, this uh, whole wave of defunding police and all of this utter <clears throat> nonsense. Tell me your opinion on, on all of this. Um, well, I think you said that. What, yeah. It's crazy. And we're dealing with a bill uh, right now where instead of funding our, our regular law enforcement, get this, they got a bill up where they want to fund Nancy Pelosi and company. They want to fund, <laughs> they want to fund a climate officers. They want to create a, a law enforcement division for climate officers. I, I, I think there's another word. I want to say it's control, but I don't think that's right. But, you know, they're looking to, to, you know, do climate officers, but they don't want to take care of officers who are looking into people who break the law, kill police officers, 
hijack cars. I mean, sometimes they don't even want to prosecute people who are, you know, break into your house and steal stuff in some parts of the country, not in Lee County, not in not in deep southwest Virginia. But we've got some in, in northern Virginia who just don't want to prosecute some of these things. Well, that's a property crime. They broke in and stole all your stuff. What? It's crazy. They want to defund right. the police and they don't want to prosecute crooks. Give me a break. Well, it's always that, that whole uh, subject of, uh, you know, uh, take the guns away and, and all of that things. And, and let me tell you something. When you are having some uh, thug or bad actor crawl through your window and rape your daughter or your wife or something like that, believe me, you you, you want every one of those guys wearing that badge or anybody with uh, to be able to come and protect you. You know what I'm saying? So Absolutely. You want them to have is, the equipment they need. To do their job absolutely i mean we've we've had uh in southwest virginia um lee scott wise counties primarily i mean uh just it, we've been we've been blessed in our county uh i think a lot of people uh the majority have have good respect for our officers uh the sheriff department and uh our sheriff does a great job with uh with what they do trying to liaison him and be fair and respectful to the to the general public you know there's there's right. law and order they got to do their enforcement and stuff but uh, you know they're they're very respectful and um stuff of people people do you know we all make wrong decisions we you know and, and we have to move through that and beyond that but uh the you know one county over you know we've had numerous shootings we had a, an officer yeah. that was killed i mean it was it's been and so those kind of things that make you stand up and open your eyes, they are coming closer. And so the swirl of all of this other complete chaotic nonsense um, going on all over the country, which is what we see on TV, is not necessarily hit the street, but one county over, it has. And so that's, you know, that's kind of a scary, a scary idea. What federally can you guys do um, to help county law enforcement these guys are underpaid i know it's all it's all regulated right. by the state and and all that but in our our county we're, we're losing our population when we lose our population um you know this doesn't turn into a, a go from a farming community to a bedroom bedroom community it, it turns into ghost towns because we don't have funding for uh it affects our school budgets it affects our law enforcement budgets how many officers our sheriff can put out on the streets uh, per capita of people all of this what's the fed, what's the feds doing how how can we get help and get it like soon well what we can do probably the most help is to provide equipment and that that is something that we can do we can put money in there for providing equipment allow police officers to in, in sheriff's departments to purchase equipment from the federal government that is, you know, the federal government's already paid for it, uh, and sometimes they decommission it or whatever. But uh, but it can still be used in in our counties, and we ought to, we ought to facilitate that as much as as we can. And that's what we ought to be doing. And and then sometimes we will have special programs where we can underwrite an officer for a few years. We also have things like the high intensity drug trafficking area program, where we put extra undercover officers into various areas. Not every county is able to participate in that. But where we can do it, then then the bad guys don't know necessarily who's coming after them. And a lot of times it may be a federal officer or somebody the feds are paying to come from a different district so that the folks who are in your county won't recognize them. Because in small communities, you know, 
pretty easy to Challenge. figure out who, who the sheriffs are, who the sheriff's deputies are. Yeah. Yeah. So there are things like that we can do. Um, Congressman Griffith, I'm going to um, give a an end note here on uh, on constituent services. So uh, to all of our listeners, Congress, uh, Congressman Griffith's office is available to assist constituents dealing with federal agencies, including issues with Social Security, Medicare, veterans benefits. You can call their office at 276-525-1405, or you can visit um, his website at morgangriffith.house.gov. I really appreciate your time you spent with us today. hope we can have you back soon, and uh, good luck on everything that you're doing. Safety to your family. Um, and thank you for being being on our show today. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.